Right. Okay, guys, welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number 23. So today we are very lucky to be joined by Cliff Wilson. Uh, and today we're really going to be providing you guys with a very in-depth resource in terms of how to set up your contest prep. Um, obviously, this is going to be uh, mainly focused, well, solely focused on natural contest preps. Um, and we're also going to go a little bit into um, sort of the, the younger aspect of things as well. Some of the questions will be um, towards a younger athlete and how things can potentially be different for them. Um, but nevertheless, let's get into things. So if you have potentially been living under a rock for a long period of time and you don't know who Cliff is and you haven't seen one of his Facebook posts been shared by one of your friends, um, then Cliff, go ahead and just give the listeners just a brief intro um, as to who you are and, and what you do, and then we'll go from there. Oh, thanks, AJ. I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, for those that may not know who I am, uh, my full-time profession is actually getting bodybuilders uh, to the stage. Uh, I don't work with general population at all. I'm, I'm pretty lucky that I get to spend my all of my days focused on bodybuilding competitors. Uh, and so I've been doing that about uh six and a half years now um and i would say about five of it have been full time so uh you know i've, I've been pretty lucky uh to work with some really great competitors i've had quite a few competitors turn pro and uh a few um competitors win uh natural world championships in a couple of different federations so um yeah i i i i'm I get to spend my days doing what most people would love to spend their days doing, and that's just focusing on bodybuilding. <laughs> very, very, very jealous, <laughs> and something yeah. something that I I aspire to do definitely in the future. And you know, it's it's absolute pleasure to have you on, Cliff. And uh, obviously, you yourself are a pro natural bodybuilder as well. So for the listeners, so you know, Cliff, you know, does it with clients, but he also, you know, practices what he preaches as well, um, and gets into some crazy condition. Um, so let's get straight into things. So first of all, Cliff, I'd really like to go into, and this was actually one of the questions that I saw some uh, someone pop up on uh, a status that you pop up, pop up as well. Um, and that's realistically when we, prior to starting a contest prep phase, a lot of people sometimes are a bit lost as to whether they are ready, whether they are ready as a competitor. Um, and what I'd like to touch on this is like, Primarily, when do we see the point of ending a muscle gaining phase? Um, and how, how are you going to determine the end of that phase and then going into a contest prep? So if we start there. Now, now when you say ready, were you looking more for a first-time competitor or somebody that's competed before getting on stage, or both? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'd say let's go for the, more of the first-time competitor, so determining whether they've got enough muscle mass and how you would potentially determine that. Gotcha. Well, I think first off, when you're a first-time competitor, uh, knowing what division you want to start in, whether it be bikini for, for women, you know, they have bikini, they have figure, women's physique and bodybuilding. Yep. Uh, obviously, bikini is just going to require fewer years of training uh -huh. to get ready for it because the muscle mass demands are, are lesser. Uh, for men's physique, uh, I, I, they have a little bit less muscle, but a lot of those men's physique guys are still pretty muscular, so don't, yeah. don't get confused with that. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say it really needs to be broken down into two aspects, uh, physical and mental. Mm 
Okay. Um, because they and they kind of go hand in hand a little bit because whether or not you're physically ready to compete, because there's no there's no restriction. You can get up there and compete whatever you want, but then you need to ask yourself mentally, what is your goal? You know, what what would you be um, pleased with, satisfied with? Yeah. Uh, getting up on stage, so you know, then you need to say, okay, am I physically at that point? or I can meet my mental criteria. Uh -huh. So, you know, if you just want to get up on stage and have fun, see where you stand, and you're not concerned about where you place, then really, you know, you can get up on stage whenever you want, you know, maybe after a year or two of training. But if you want to get up there and really hold your own, um, and then in that case, I would say for bikini, I would usually like to see girls train consistently for one preferably two years of weight training before they really get up on a bikini stage yeah um, for guys and girls that are looking to maybe do figure or bodybuilding mm -hmm. then I, I would like to see most people train for about four minimum of four years before they really look to get up on stage and that may seem like a long time to some people but if you want to get up there and really hold your own uh, you know that's just what it's gonna take uh -huh. and uh, and I'm not even gonna touch on like winning turning pro and stuff like that for first time competitors. Yeah. You know, some, so, some people love, uh, you know, I, I always hear first time competitors. Oh, you know, I just want to go up there and turn pro. And I, you know, I don't hear, uh, I don't, I don't see people picking up a basketball for the first time. And within a year of being like, you know, I, I just want to go to the NBA. That's yeah. all, you know what I mean? Yeah. So no. I won't, I won't, I won't even address that. No, that's, that's a very, that's a very good analogy. And I think far too many people think that, they you know they potentially get into bodybuilding primarily like just for the success and they don't they don't potentially have that passion uh for the weights room the passion for tracking absolutely everything they eat um and that's something yeah that's something i uh, that alberto really said in his podcast as well that you just you have to be in love with the process for, for for a decent period of time before you um sort of condemn yourself to the length of a contest prep yeah, and, and, and I would say this, you know, for those that say, oh my gosh, three or four years of training before I get up on stage, that sounds that sounds brutal. Well, that's already a problem right there. Yeah. You know, if you if, if that seems like a if that seems like too long, then uh, because you, to compete successfully, you do have to love the process. Like you said, Alberto Nunez said that yeah. to compete successfully, you have to love the process. Yeah. And you're not even sure if you're going to love the result of getting up on stage. My wife did what she loves dieting, you know, uh, you know, eating a controlled diet training and she did one show and she loves the diet and training aspect, but she did one show and she's like, I don't, I don't really care for this. You know, I'll just stick to training hard and dieting, but yeah, you have to love the process to really do well on stage. Yeah, absolutely agreed. I think that's, um, that's something that everyone needs to know. That's a really good starting point in terms of how people can assess whether they're they're ready to go in terms of mentally, physically. That's that's really good. So, um, in terms of, I wanted to ask a question specific to you because you've worked with so many people. Is there anyone, and maybe first timers as well, um, or even someone that's just come to you and maybe has competed in the past, but you get their initial shots and you think, you know, you know, they they could do well. But as soon as they start dieting down, has anyone just really shocked you and you've thought, holy crap, there's like a ton more muscle than I thought there was there? Um, and any examples of like characteristics they maybe had, etc., so people can just get a gauge on that? Yeah, yeah, you know, I have the perfect person. Actually, I wrote, I wrote an article about her 
and it's going to be posted on bodybuilding.com. So if people want to be on the lookout for it. But uh, I had a client, have a client named uh, Carrie Bolin. Uh, and she came to me, she, yeah, she came to me in 2012. She'd been competing for already for like 20 years and, uh, you know, she had just failed to get lean enough and, you know, she had a good amount of muscle, but I remember looking at her starting pictures. She's short, you know, she's like five, two, five, one. And, um, and I remember looking at her pictures and I thought to myself, uh, if she could turn pro, this year, that would be really good. You know, that would be like that would be like our high end goal. And I said maybe I was thinking maybe she could do it. And as we started dieting down, uh, I saw dense, <laughs> dense looking muscle like I had never seen. Like you know, she's a female and her muscle muscularity was more, more dense than almost any male I'd ever seen. Wow. And she had thinner. You know, th- some people just have a naturally thinner looking skin yeah. than other people. And she had a thin look to her skin. And she not only won her pro card, but then did her pro debut and almost beat the world champion that year. Uh, came in second. And then and then we took a couple year off season. And then she came back, won her next pro show, and then won the world championships. And so, and and I started with, I was like, uh, you know, maybe she'll turn pro and then she became world champion. So I was way off on my guess there. Mental. Yeah, yeah, nah. that's, that's, yeah. A, that's, yeah, it's a super cool example and even more cool that she was a female because I think, you know, when, oof, I think a lot of females are sometimes scared, especially with the sort of the, the physique figure categories as to whether they're muscular enough to compete in them. You know, I've, I've you know, I've definitely had a few girls recently i've been coaching more females and you know that they're unsure as to whether you know they fit into the bikini or figure criteria um and you know realistically it it may well take that you know just the dietary process you know getting leaner to actually see what they look like underneath and whether you know obviously there's drastic differences between the conditioning in figure and bikini etc so um but that's a really cool story and yeah thanks for sharing that one well, and you know, I, one thing I always say to, especially like first-time competitors, if they're not sure where they fit, um, I, first-time competitors are the most nervous competitors yeah, yeah, yeah. because they don't they don't know how they're going to place, you know, they don't know how they're going to do, they're worried they're going to be embarrassed. But one thing I always tell first-time competitors is, uh, your first show, you literally have the least pressure on you that you will ever have in your entire career. It's your first show. Nobody expects you to win. Nobody even expects you to do well. Mm-hmm. And so you you can go out there, place poorly, and everybody's just going to say, well, it's your first show. But then your next show, you have to improve upon it. So um, I, I really think that learning to just be okay with whatever you, happens at your first show uh, is good. And then that teaches you so much about what you need to improve, about, improve upon and where yeah. you need to go. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so the next stage of questions I'd really like to touch on would be basically the initial setup of the contest prep phase. Um, and when it comes to you know getting clients on board with yourself, what, what's the first process that they have to go through? Are they sending you images? Are they sending you data on uh, or sort of where their macros are at currently? And is there anything that you'd say you look for, particularly when a client's coming to you, you and you think, okay, we're, we're in a good spot to sort of, you know, get going with things soon. Um, and, and how do you sort of gauge those things with clients? Uh, th- this is actually a big 
part of what I do uh, is finding people that are ready. Yeah. yeah because yeah. Well, well, because most people are not ready. Mm, yeah. um, and uh, it for me as a coach, uh, for me to be successful as a coach and me help my clients be successful uh, is making sure I'm taking people that are prepared prepared to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and and I, I'm lucky I actually have someone that helps me now go through uh, um, my client applications. His name's Dan Feeney. He's been an absolute lifesaver because I couldn't go through everybody because I'm pretty detailed about the process and now Dan helps me be detailed. Um, but uh, I get all the information about what they're eating, um, if they've done previous shows before, what did they look like, you know, all, all, all the stats, body weight, food intake, training, cardio. Um, I want to see current pictures, past pictures, and I get all that information. Uh, but it, the biggest thing that I see is that people don't give themselves enough time. Uh, a lot of times people say, you know, I want to, you know, start with you right now and I want to be ready for the show in 15 weeks. Yeah. And I, I would say if I had to guess a percentage, I should go through my, my, my applications and actually get the true percentage, but I would say only 5 to 10% of people are actually ready to be able to be ready for the show they want to do. Wow. Um, and, and so you know, one of the reasons I – yeah, and one of the reasons I've had someone kept Dan helping me uh, – yeah, yeah, and it, it's, it's because they're, they're – it's because um, you know they maybe haven't given themselves enough time to – grow since their last show true, and their food's true. still really low yeah. or, or or they just have too much fat fat to lose and so um you know one thing i do a lot of times is i i mean it's going you know me, me and uh, dan will just go through the application and it's pretty much telling 90 percent of the people you know you need to pick a different show you need to pick a different show and a lot of times but i won't take somebody on right away mm -hmm. i'll tell them you need to be aiming for this show and the biggest part is convincing people to do that later show yeah because um, it once they get their hearts set on a show, they don't want to change it. But you know there are well it, it, at least you know here in the U.S. But there are a lot of shows every year that you can yeah. do. Yeah. And, uh, and and you know I, I I always put it this way, um, you know a lot of bodybuilders consider themselves very dedicated in doing what you know whatever it takes to win. Yeah. But uh, so you know sometimes what it takes to win is exercising patience. And, you know, showing that patience to pick a later show, do a longer diet, um, that's what it takes. And a lot of people are just not willing to do that. Yeah, yeah, 100% agreed. I think I think it's not almost like people are misguided. Maybe it's because there's, you know, there's, there's still a lot of coaching practices that maybe aren't quite up to the standard, at least, that you'd expect um, from a client. And maybe people that have just you know, gone down the wrong route, whether it's, you know, drastic restriction, coming out of a diet and then expecting to go back and compete again really consistently. Um, or the other end of the scale is that, you know, they've been led down the direction of gaining far too fast. And, you know, you get initial pictures and you're like, you know, you've got you know, 60 to 70 pounds of legitimate weight loss to, to get into shape. Um, and, you know, that's just not feasible for the show date. Um, what do you see more often than not? Like, what's the... Would you say you get more competitors that are too far gone in a gaining phase or too many competitors that have a show date that's too soon? What's the sort of the difference between those two? Uh, it's kind of a combination of the two because a lot of people 
think they're going to be heavier on show day than what they are. Guys are really bad with this yeah. <laughs> as compared to girls. Most guys think, oh, you know, I'm going to be 185 pounds on show day, and I have to tell them, no, you're probably going to be like 165 pounds yeah, yeah. on show day. Because, um, you know, the, a lot of times they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, they'll be they'll be 215 pounds. Mm-hmm. So they think, I well, you know, for, for yeah, I know a lot of your listeners are in the UK, but so and they'll have to do the math and take kilograms. Like but pounds quite frequently actually, so it should be all right. <laughs> okay, okay, so uh, so you know they'll say uh, they're 215 pounds. Oh, I only need to lose 30 pounds. I should be able to be ready in 25 weeks. Well, when I look at their pictures and I, I say, well, no, you're going to be more probably like 165, 170 pounds. Well, that that just added a lot of extra diet time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so um, it first starts with having an accurate est- estimated, because nobody ever knows exactly what they're going to weigh on show day, yeah. but, you know, an accurate estimated show weight, and then, um, you know, doing the calculation to make sure you have adequate time to pull off that much weight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, it kind of feeds into one. So, you know, be realistic. I, I tell most guys, uh, if you've never really hit your true stage conditioning, yeah. then take what you think you're going to weigh on show day, and you probably need to subtract about 10 to 15 pounds from that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so would you say, is that your sort of method of working out how long they need for a contest diet? It's just sort of gauging how many pounds they need to lose and then and then basically looking at how many weeks and adding a few onto the end of that? Is that how you'd sort of gauge things in terms of setting up the, the longevity of the prep? Yeah, yeah. The, the very first step will be getting yeah getting an accurate assessment of and that's why I ask for a lot of it it's easier if you've done a show before yeah. um you know for somebody that's never dieted down you know I can look at I can look at a, a lot of times people are going to come to me as a coach because they didn't hit their conditioning at the last show sure, sure, but sure. if I if I can see their last show pictures um it gives me an idea of how close they were you know I can yeah. say oh you know they were set, they were seven pounds off they were five pounds off um. So, you know, I, I, I get all that information and, you know, Dan helps me get all that information and uh, we take a look and we say, okay, this person was pretty close the last time. They need to lose five pounds more. That lets me know how much they're going to need to pull off from the current condition. Sure. And then you sort of do, and, and then you sort of do the math. Um, then you, then you need to take into consideration, this is where the nuance comes in of coaching. You need to see how much they're currently eating. Yep. You know, somebody that's eating, somebody that's eating more currently will be able to lose more per week than somebody that's eating less. Makes sense. Um, just, just because there's more to cut. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I'll say, you know, we can keep a higher rate of loss with this person. So I may give two different people two different recommendations. You know, person A may have 20 pounds to lose as well as person B. Mm-hmm. But if person A is eating quite a bit more, uh, I will give them a shorter prep time yep. than this person. Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, that's why one of the people always ask me, um, you know, I get a lot of people to ask me, you know, they'll say, you know, what do you charge for prep? And I say, well, I need to get some information from you because you, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna prep person B for a 20 week prep. If I know that their end result is not going to, you know, not going to be what they want. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I always, I always got to get all the information, find out what they need, and then we can work it from there. Cause I'm not going to prep somebody if I know the end result is, is not going to be satisfactory for me or them. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to put anyone under false, you know, false hope, etc. when you get them on board and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're going to be ready. Here's the money, transfer it. You know, you, that's part of the integrity of being a coach is you've got to be honest. Like you've got to give them an honest representation of 
where you're going to be and how you can get there. Yeah. Oh, and, and you know, you're a, you're a coach yourself and, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are coaches yeah. and I would say as a coach, um, promising things you can't deliver on is one of the worst things you can do it. And I know some, some coaches will do it because, you know, they want the money, you know, they'll say, Oh, I can, I can get you to the stage in 15 weeks or I can help you turn pro and, um, you know, it, it's so they can get that short term, you know, they want the money coming in and get that client. But the problem is when that doesn't happen at the end of the prep, that person's not going to be happy and that's not going to look good for you. And they're not going to tell other people about your services. So, I mean, the best thing you can do is just be honest with people. You're going to lose some people, yeah. but be honest with them, be honest with them and then get good results for the people that can, they'll trust you. Yeah, agreed for sure. Cool, wicked. So next, I'd really like to touch on basically the dietary side of things when it comes to contest prep setup. So first of all, if we could go over what approach you are generally using with your clients, and what I mean by that is, are you sending your clients initial meal plans, or are you dictating macros, or would you call it a, a macro meal plan? Um, and if you could also just roll through why you've used these approaches and also any sort of over the last few years, if you've changed approach and, and why also. Uh, yeah, my, my, I, I do uh, adjust my clients' macros okay. and I also give recommendations for timing of those macros. Makes sense. Uh, so um, because I don't, I don't want... If I give somebody 250 carbs, I don't want them eating those 250 carbs in one single meal. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, there are specific times where you can, um, you know, for example, pre-training carbs when energy is at a higher premium during prep. You know, that's gonna that's gonna help with training. So you know, I will give specific recommendations. Um, I don't get specific food recommendations for a couple for a couple different reasons. Um, one, I think it's crucially important that the client likes what they're eating. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so a lot of a lot of people say, "Well, can you give me a meal plan?" And I say, "Well, no, because I don't know what foods you like." Yeah. Uh, in, in case I'll tell them, "You make a meal plan with the foods you like, and I'll take a look at it." You know what I mean? Because yeah. I don't want to influence their food choices. There's, there's not going to be good foods and bad foods. You know, some foods are more nutritious than others. But then, second of all, uh, I want to see um, variety in their diet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I, even if they lay out their own meal plan, I may tell them, you know, you're eating the same exact thing every day, or maybe there's just not enough variety in that. You know, I, different vegetables, you know, different foods are going to bring different. Uh, nutrients, yeah. and so I, I kind of want to see a variety um, in that manner. So uh, I give I give timing uh, recommendations. I lay out their macros for the day, and then they set the meal plan from there. And you know we kind of go from there. But I may ask specific questions along the way, like how many vegetables are you eating? Because even even some grown adults they they will fight against eating their vegetables on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, have you had any situations where? you've had clients sort of question the whole flexible dieting approach and maybe, I guess, be a little bit against it? And how would you battle that? Would you, would, you, would you have an argument for flexible dieting or would you say, I'm still giving you your macros, you can eat however you, however you choose and you just let the argument go away? How would you deal with that at all? 
it, when I first started coaching, it was really difficult to get people to trust, like not giving them a meal plan, uh, because there weren't a lot of people doing it, you know, around 2010, 2011. Um, now it's a lot more common. And then also I was newer as a coach, so I didn't really have a proven track record. Uh, so it was, it was very hard to get them to trust it. Um, and you know, it, it really took time, but now when people, now I don't have it as much because there are a lot more people that do it as well as I have clients that have had great success while following, you know, choosing their own foods. Um, and yeah. so, you know, that proves as a track record, but overall, I, I think even now for younger coaches, uh, newer coaches that don't have the proven track record. Um, there are still a lot of people that have been successful that you can point to in the bodybuilding arena and say, you know, this person doesn't follow a meal plan and they've, they've been really successful. But, yeah. but overall, I, I, I've, I've always found that one good thing I can do is say, um, why don't, here's your macros, uh, here's your recommended timing, why don't you lay out a meal plan and I'll take a look at it. Because that way I'm not just yeah. saying you're on your own, you know what I mean? That yeah. I, I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it and making sure everything is good. But, uh, you know, and then also for some people, it's an issue of they don't want to think, you know, they don't want to, um, they don't want to think to macros together. They just want to be given their meal plan and, you know, go off, not have to think about it. They just make it. Yeah. But, but that, to me, that's a problem. Yeah. And, and to me, I was, I, another thing I tell people, if that's the case, they say, I don't want to think about what I'm eating. I just want to eat it and go. But, but I, I, another thing I'm, I'm really big on is I, I want somebody that's actively engaged um uh, i don't want you to not think i don't want you turning your brain off during your prep yeah yeah i'm engaged in the process yeah yeah absolutely i think i think the the, the difficulty is is obviously there's people out there arguing both sides so you've got you know a lot of people that will put up a i saw one post last night then probably the reason i asked this question is because it was just a very brash post on facebook about shunning flexible dieting and you know you you cannot fit this you can't possibly get into condition fitting this and i think it's just two ends of the scale of people arguing and you know it, it is a bit of a difficulty when a client says that but i think your way of dealing with it is is very good um you still having that um i guess role in controlling the foods they're eating by looking at what they have sort of fitted into their macros and there comes a point where i think um i think to an extent the whole thinking process of food and sometimes i think i see a slight bit more of food focus with individuals that are avidly thinking about what they can potentially fit into their numbers for the day whereas you know like closer like when you get really really close and you know you're, you are legitimately really hungry it could be probably beneficial to have the have your structure very well embedded into your day so you're not thinking you know <laughs> you get home and you're thinking about how much ice cream you can have or weigh out this and you end up very food focused and i've been a suspect of that i think towards the end of one of my contest preps well and that's and that's what i tell people too is i like them to kind of create their own meal plan um yeah. because i don't want them just winging it through the day, you know, oh, I'm, what am I going to eat for my last meal? I, I, especially in prep, I would like you to know what you're already going to eat for your last meal. And like you said, uh, 
Okay, I'll use myself for an example because obviously uh, I can speak from experience. My last prep, uh, I got down to about 100 carbs a day uh, for for quite a long time at the end of my prep. I'm not going to be having ice cream on 100 carbs a day because I will will use all of my carbs so fast. Um, And so, I mean, a lot of my carbs came from vegetables. Yeah, I had my option of vegetables, um, but I, I, you know, so... I think there's also that misconception of, you know, uh, what is flexible dieting because uh-huh. they think it is, you know, the more food you have in your diet, the more room you have for, you know, goodies like ice cream and, you know, uh, maybe a candy bar or something like that. Yeah. But when you're down to a, when you're down to 100 carbs a day or maybe even 150 carbs a day, there's not a whole lot of ice cream going on. There's not a whole, there's there's not a whole lot of candy getting put in your diet because you 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 need you need the the volume, the food volume, uh, of of vegetables and you know more starchy type carbs, uh, complex carbohydrates, as well as the nutrition. You know you yeah. can't uh, you can't waste because uh, I, I mean while low fat ice cream tastes good, um, you you could waste half of your day's carbs and get zero vitamins and minerals from that. Uh, so you know you, you need to use your macronutrients wisely and. Um, you know, show discretion in how you use them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's nailed the approach side of things and definitely answers a few questions as to what people should be doing as they diet down. And even from the start, you know, embedding that structure, just so you know that by the end, you're not going to be suddenly in a shock as to the variety, well, not the variety, but the those treats, you know, they do disappear quite fast. So if anything, it's probably good to have some, solid structure from the start so it's not so much of a shock um yeah so when it comes to um the initial macros that you'd be setting people on um and i've i've heard you on podcasts before um and sometimes heard some slightly different things as to what you do when it comes to gaining phase macros or off-season macros um, especially with protein intake some slightly different views only slightly but um still a little bit different um so when it comes to initially setting up the macros obviously to get the client into a deficit is there any anything initially that would drastically change um and let's say this individual's you know already on you know wise macro ratios when it comes to carb fat protein there's nothing crazy bad going on how would the initial numbers look and is there anything that you would do differently that would just per client maybe as well yeah, and, and, and as you mentioned, you know, for those that aren't familiar, in the off season, I do tend to keep protein intake really high uh, compared to what mo- for, to, compared to what most people would do. Yeah. Uh, um, some of that is also, you know, without going too in depth, some of that's based on the research showing that you know you can add protein without gaining much fat. Um, yeah. So you know, as well as uh, as well as anecdotally, I've just seen. The people that take in higher amounts of protein for longer periods of time yeah. tend to have better results, and so that's yeah. something I've done for quite a few years now. Yeah. Um, so, so whereas a lot of people, when they begin a contest prep phase, a lot of times they will have protein set here, and then they'll raise it up a little bit while they reduce from carbohydrates and and fats. Um, but you know, so they may start here and raise it up to here. The oh. biggest difference is. I'm not raising it up because I'm already here. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, so I'm all, I'm already high at the, in off in the off season. So I may actually begin contest prep by by uh, 
keeping it the same, or if I've gone really high in the off season, I may reduce protein a little bit yeah. um, because I, I, you know, as as you diet down for a show, uh, obviously you need uh, protein as substrate to repair muscle tissue, but also you need carbohydrates to continue to train hard. Uh, you know, one, one of the biggest problems that people see towards the end of a prep is their just performance takes a huge dip. So as much as you can mitigate that effect by, you know, keeping carbohydrates high and keeping training intensity high and strength high. So, um, so I may start by lowering protein a little bit mm-hmm. to this will put me where a lot of people raise it up to. And then um, and then I really start kind of chopping away from the carbohydrates and the fats because you're going to need to do that. Um I would say my fat intake over the course of an entire prep mm-hmm. stays a little bit higher than what I see most other people doing. Okay. Is there any um, sort of rationale behind that? What would you say is the main reasoning behind the fat intake being slightly higher? Um, yeah, and, and I guess I would say not a whole lot, but I, I see some coaches, uh, some people will get down to 25 to 30 grams of carbohydrates, or I'm sorry, fats. Fats, yeah. Uh, for maybe female clients and maybe in the range of 30 to 44 males sure, okay, um, yep. and, and myself i try if possible not to go below 40 grams okay. for for women maybe down to 35 if i really need to push it yep. um and then i i try for men not to go much below 50 yep. um you know and i may go a little bit lower if i really need to push it again yep. but uh but the reason for that just a few different reasons uh, you know, anecdotally, I just see people feeling much better during their prep. They don't, they don't feel as drained. They don't feel as sluggish and they tend to perform better in the gym. And then, uh, and, and then I've, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work with so many people over the years and I have some of them that let me, uh, you know, will take hormone panels as they go throughout their prep. And I notice while at the end of prep, the, there is, for those that aren't familiar, if you're a natural competitor, uh, hormone levels like testosterone are going to tank at the end of prep. Uh, yeah. Cortisol and cortisol is going to go way up. Uh, so, yeah. uh, but I have seen that by keeping fat just a little bit higher, um, I can keep that that drop, you know, that that tank at the end of it. I can keep it from happening for a little bit longer. Uh, so it doesn't happen quite. It does. It doesn't seem from the hormone panels I've seen to drop quite as quickly. It still ends up in about the same spot, but it doesn't drop quite as soon. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I was I was assuming that the, that the fat intake being slightly higher would probably be from a hormonal point of view. Um, and so in that, in that perspective, would you, I guess, would you favor creating more of a deficit fire activity um, as a result of keeping fat intake slightly higher than most coaches? Um, or, or would you say that you're, that at the end of the prep, if you compared, I guess, some other people's macros to yours, would you say that carbohydrates tend to fall slightly lower? Um, and then maybe why as well? I, I definitely try to not use cardio as much as possible, but obviously, especially for, um, hard, you know, uh, people that have a hard time losing fat and women I, at a certain point you need to you need to bring the cardio up significantly but in the beginning yeah. stages i try to use i try to take away mostly from carbohydrates um you know okay. I, i'll i'll leave it as high as possible but i mean uh 
and you know we're not talking about a great amount of calories the difference between 30 grams of fat versus 40 grams of fat so you know that's that's not a lot of calor- calories right there so you're, you're not going to affect your your overall view of things and, and I, I think one of the big reasons why it may just help people feel a little bit better is that you know there are there are essential fats are essential and overall I try to take the view with contest prep uh, in, in general, where I try to I try to lessen the severity of the measures that I take and try to avoid taking drastic measures because the sooner you take the sooner you take drastic measures or what your body perceives as drastic measures, the more drastic changes your body will take to create homeostasis. So um, yeah. keep that in mind. You know, the second people think, because those people that have that mindset of 15 weeks out, time to go, you know, they, they start slashing <laughs> food and upping their cardio. Well, that just makes, that just ensures the sooner they're going to start feeling like crap. So, um, you know, so that from that aspect. But overall, uh, cardio, you know, you're getting back to your question about cardio and activity. Cardio is, is pretty much my, I try to keep cardio as my last resort. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people would prefer to do some extra activity and eat more, but I, I, I am of the mindset that you're not going to get as your, your results won't be the same. And one of the biggest reasons for that is, um, cardio requires recovery while not nearly as much as weight training, but you know, performing hit cardio is still going to require some cover recovery it's going to dip into your recovery ability. So, uh, it, it takes, it takes recovery to, uh, perform a 10 minute hit session. You know, that eats up some of your recovery. It requires nothing to, it requires no recovery ability to cut 20 grams of carbohydrates. Um, so, you know, that's why it's much easier to do that. And, um, and then that saves more of your recovery ability for your weight training. So it's kind of a cycle that feeds into it. Instead of performing cardio, I can cut food and I can still train a little bit harder because I'm not trying to recover from my cardio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess whilst we're on the topic of, of cardio as well and energy expenditure, I've, I've seen you recently as post, um, actually no, I, I'm not sure whether it was in one of your posts, but it may well have been. Um, it was, are you... Are you are you now using um, with any clients? Are you using activity trackers? Um, and are you giving guidelines to clients as to how many steps they should be looking to hit per day? Um, and is has there been sort of any changes as to you know the the rise of activity trackers with your coaching? Um, and obviously, all relative to the control of energy expenditure. Um, yeah, I, 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 maybe you did see, I actually did have a client that was using an activity tracker and she was keeping me posted on it. Yeah. Um, for the most part though, I don't, I, well, I'll put it this way. I never use activity trackers. Um, the biggest reason is that I kind of feel like, uh, our daily life is our daily life. You know, we just go through your day, um, as normal and I don't, I don't want people, I don't want people altering their daily life as many steps as they need to take that day that's what they'll take and then we can alter 
diet, training, cardio as needed to work around that. Um, because, you know, some people may say it's better to take more steps or less steps, but, you know, if it's part of your job and it's just part of what you do, um, I don't want, this sport is already all consuming as it is. And so I, I would rather have people going about their daily life and not really, um, worrying about every, every step they take, you know, I, I, I think the, I think. I think the mental stress of having to worry about am I taking enough steps would probably um, just start to become more of a hassle than it's worth. Yeah, no, I, I do actually agree with on that front. I think, you know, quite a lot of the time it can take away from the focus of just ticking the boxes when it comes to contest prep. So, you know, have I done my cardio? Have I done my training? Have I tracked my nutrition? Have I slept well? because uh, you don't really want to be at 9 p.m. looking at the step tracker thinking, shit, I've got a thousand more steps to do, let's go yeah. for a walk. And, you know, that again, you know, may well impact recovery and may well increase stress. And obviously we know how integral it is for a client to be as low stress as possible when it comes to contest prepping. Um, so if anything, I think quite frequently a activity tracker can actually be more of a stress than it is um, a tool for success when it comes to contest prep. You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. And, <laughs> and, and that is the biggest thing. I, I think, you know, lack of stress is one of the biggest overlooked factors during a contest prep. Mm-hmm. The people that are most relaxed and just going with the flow, they always get better results because, you know, they're not stressing. Yeah, they're not stressing about every little thing. And then, and then uh, you know, if you, I feel like if you add in this device that is constantly like, ah, I don't know, I haven't hit my numbers for today, uh, that that's just going to stress people out you know i don't want them thinking about that and like you said if you get to the end of the night uh and you're beat i don't want people thinking oh you know I was, yeah i was 500 steps short should i go out and get a walk no i'd rather you just go to bed get some sleep and start the next day anew yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely i you know i think you know, at the same time there obviously there is some benefit to being on top of at least determining where your average activity is at but you could do that by sort of roughly being aware of you know, one day of activity. I think the only thing that I'd see as a potential benefit is the fact that we do get inherently lazy as contest prep wears on. So that when you are, you know, I guess at the start phases, you may have a client that's very, very active, you know, doing lots and lots in every day. And then they just get lazier and lazier, the neat drops off. And you know we could you could be looking at a potential you know 300 400 calories of of neat just lost out of the window um so i think that, that that would maybe be the only reason to argue using one but nevertheless you could just prescribe a client to not get lazy <laughs> yeah or, or you know if that case then you would just adjust the diet or the cardio course, accordingly yeah. I mean, I kind of, I kind of account for the fact that people are going to become a little bit lazier. So I'll even use something like list cardio, because list cardio, you know, low intensity, steady state, it, that's not going to eat up a lot of recovery ability. And I can, uh, and sometimes I'll use it as a little bit of a, because, and this goes back into, um, it, you know, if, if anybody that's followed me and knows that I am also really big on, um, just kind of the holistic approach to contest prep, making sure the mental aspect is in tune with the physical aspect, um, uh, you know, because, you know, we can quantify uh, a lot of things with, you know, macros and training and volume and sets and reps. But there are certain aspects such as stress, stress and everyday life 
like so I'll, I'll even tell some clients if I know they're a particularly stressed out person or if they've been, you know, they're, if they're the type that get hyper focused and we all have a tendency to um, neglect certain areas of our life during conscious prep because it's so consuming. So I may adjust for that and I'll even say, all right, we're going to add in a 30 minute walk this week and now we need to go for a walk with your wife. You know what I mean? Like, so that way they, they're, they're spending time with their family. They're spending time with their family, which is going to de-stress them a little bit as well as making up for some of that, that neat. That yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. I think that's a very good approach. Um, so yeah, I think that the next thing I wanted to ask, and again, I think this is on the comment section, which is good. So, um, when it comes to supplementation for a contest prep, um, just cover the, um, and this is going to sound like a like a sales plug, um, but just just cover the core the core supplements that you would have um, as a sup as, as a sort of um, this we're starting contest prep. This is what I want you taking, and this is why. Um, you know, when when it comes to supplements, uh, I I use a lot of supplements, and I I I believe in a lot of supplements but yeah sure my approach is that it's it's such, such a small piece of the puzzle you know compared to diet and training so when i give yeah. recommendations for supplements i um I, I keep a hierarchy of most to what is least important and then uh, i don't require uh, anything but i make the recommendations and then clients i i, I place an order and then they can buy whatever they can afford because supplements can get really expensive really quickly. Sure. Um, so, you know, I, I do like a, a lot of my clients to have a whey protein shake after their training. So, you know, that would be like number okay. one there. Um, and, uh, Is that you know, even, or just a standard way. Uh, isolate, uh, I, I like isolate. And then also, okay. um, it, I like to even have them have a, mix of a whey casein blend um, to have you know they don't have to take it at any point but I, I think that's a good thing for anybody to have because uh, you know there are times you don't feel like cooking um, there are there are times where you don't have time to cook and that's when yep. bad bad decisions are made <laughs> you know um, yeah. so awake away casein mix uh, that you know obviously the whey has a better amino acid profile than the casein but the casein has a has a slower digestion rate, so it works better as a meal yeah. replacement than, than whey alone. Um, so I like the combination. So I'll recommend those two, and then even things like fish oil. Um, I like branched chain amino acids, even though it, it's not as popular as of late. I do think there are benefit to having them during training. Um, so so I'll have branched chain amino acids during training. Creatine, obviously, and I kind of list the hierarchy of these, you know, proven supplements. And then I'll even get down into uh, supplements like, okay, then for contest prep, I'll recommend like HMB uh, to preserve yep. muscle. And then um, and then I'll even have like more specialty supplements towards the bottom where, you know, because some people, you know, some people have more money than other people. Some people can throw as much money as sure. they want towards supplements. So I'll even say like yeah. these supplements may be beneficial. Uh, and so, you know, if you want to put money towards them, go for it. You know, that's, that's your call, yeah, but they're like, yeah. uh, so, you know, I, I kind of, kind of ladder it like that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That makes sense. Um, when it comes to HMB, I have actually got a question on HMB. Um, 
how are you dosing HMB and is there any sort of time that you would op, op, like optimally take HMB? Uh, I usually like to take two divided doses, um, one and a half grams, one and a half grams pre-training, one and a half grams post-training. Um, now there hasn't really been a lot of research on it, but during my own contest prep, uh, now once again, I am sponsored by core. So, uh, you know, I have access to more supplements than most people. I was actually doing one and a half grams pre-training, one and a half grams post-training and then one and a half grams before bed. Uh, and, you know, so I, it was one of those things where I was just taking a little extra just for the possible benefit. I'm not even positive if yeah. that will will provide benefit, but I, you know, the extra one and a half grams before bed was, um, you know, it was worth the, worth the, worth the chance for me. <laughs> so I took it. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. It's the, it's, it's, it's the, the HMB is, is, yeah, something that I, I haven't actually used yet in a contest prep, um, but it, if, if it gives me 1%, potential more muscle retention i'm gonna do it um yeah so absolutely um one other question is i had as well when it came to supplementation is um have you ever when it comes to uh obviously there is i believe some slight research behind your himbine and um using that in a fasted state um have you had any sort of experience with that either using it with clients or yourself uh, yeah, I, I've used it before and I've recommended it for clients. I do see benefits for uh, some people when I combine it with caffeine, and okay. I I will use it in you know a, a, a more of a fasted state. And I but but then I get into issues where um, I don't usually like to do completely fasted cardio. So then it, you know might uh, yeah. block some of the blunt some of the benefits of the Ohimbi. Um, I, one of the issues I've run into with Yohimbi is that uh, it increases stress levels for a lot of people, and uh, I even yeah, yeah and, and so even high doses can induce panic attacks in some people. So wow, wow. Um, I sort of I sort of gauge what type of person I'm recommending it to. If if I have somebody that's really if I have somebody that's normally just a pretty stressed out person, there's no way in hell I'm recommending Yohimbi. Um, and even for myself, I'm a very low, I'm a very low stress person. Um, so it doesn't bother me at all to take it. But I've even noticed when I take it, uh, I tend to get run down a little bit more quickly um, from I think you know just too too many stims stimulants. And okay, so uh, yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So I, I, you know, when using Yohimbi, I would say I think you need to be very aware of it. Like if you take it, you need to really monitor how it makes you feel. Notice if you feel an increase in agitation. Do you feel more run down over the coming, you know, three four days? Um, and then, you know, some some people don't have any negative side effects. I've noticed some people have. Um, stronger negative side effects. So, you know, if you try it, I think I, I think there's some benefit to it, but you need to be really aware of what effect negative effects it may be having on you, and whether or not it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So you need to be quite self-aware when taking uh, your him being. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and that and that goes back to what I said. I don't want I don't want clients taking uh, you know taking what I recommend and just shutting their brain off. Everything they do, yeah, I want right. them to I want them thinking about it and then be able to give me feedback on it. Yeah, makes sense for sure. Um, cool, wicked. So that's pretty much all I wanted to cover from a dietary setup point of view. Um, if we could move on to 
uh, basically training setup um, for, for a contest prep phase. So when it comes to programming someone's training, now let's consider someone who is, someone like yourself, who's been training in a in a manner that's acceptable and you know has has applied basic principles and knows exactly what they're doing with their off-season training but just wants to get into a contest prep phase is there anything initially that does change and why would you change it as a result of going into a contest prep phase uh you know with, with some of my training and i'm i'm uh I, with some of my training approaches I would say I go against the grain a little bit. Uh, well, yeah, I've and, seen, and I've seen yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I always I always tell people, you know, it, I have I have some bro tendencies, if you will. To, but um, <laughs> I, when it, when it comes to contest prep, I don't I don't change the approach really because I'm a, I'm a firm yeah. believer that you know uh, the same the same training methods that will maximize your growth in the off season. Are the same ones that will retain, grow, uh, maintain your muscle mass in contest prep, and so uh, you know I, I don't really change anything. And you know there is some research to show that a reduced training volume will help preserve muscle, but in in my experience, that sort of takes care of itself because if you keep a similar number, yeah, yeah, if you keep a similar number of sets and reps, uh, you're going to lose strength over the course of prep. And so that, that reduced training volume sort of takes care of itself as you go. And, you know, I find that people just settle into what they are capable of. Um, and obviously you need to keep monitoring as you go. You need to keep monitoring how am I feeling, how am I performing, and you always adjust as you go. But overall, the, yeah. there's going to be similar recommendations for volumes and reps because um, it's, it's all going to be the same principles. Now, with that, I will say... At the beginning of prep, I don't change a thing, but at the tail end of prep, I will maybe shy away from heavier uh, loads with lower rep ranges. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, for for two reasons or a couple reasons. One, um, uh, the risk of injury just becomes a little too great, and maybe the final four to seven weeks, depending on who I'm dealing with. I think anybody that has been in true con, I think anybody that has been in true contest shape knows how frail you feel at the very end. <laughs> And, yeah. and so, you know, getting in there and performing a set of three or four reps on a squat or a deadlift feels like you might break. Uh, and and then also, uh, those lower reps really dig into your recovery ability quite a bit more than sure. a higher rep set uh, for, a, for a lower volume payoff. You know, I can get a lot more training yeah. volume with, with a set of 10 or 12 than I can with a set of two or three, and that's going to eat into my recovery ability a lot more and then um, and then the last reason is the mental aspect of it um, I think I think for a competitor that is absolutely depleted and dieting at the very end of a prep um, it can be defeating to try to do a two or three rep max and see how much strength they've lost compared to what they were at um, at their max and so it becomes mentally defeating and I'm not, I'm not gonna ask them to do that you know yeah, yeah, no, I think I, from that standpoint, in terms of the the heavier work, I I, I definitely agree. I think that um, something that I found with myself for sure is that when you when you do lose uh, a lot of body fat, things like squats, bench, and heavy rep, low rep ranges become very very different. Um, obviously, that's due to leverage is changing massively and 
you know, if you're a low bar squatter, you've no longer got half the body fat on your upper back to rest the bar on. It's not comfy in the hole. You know, you've got lots of different things going on. Um, so I think, you know, if you're looking at depositing those the credits in the account that you need to, to get the work done and keep the volume there, then definitely looking at, you know, reducing the load and keeping the volume roughly the same, but not doing those really disgusting heavy sets um, is probably going to be optimal towards the end. And I think also from the heavy set standpoint, um, I, I think most people will just end up taking all day to complete like five sets of four because you don't want to get back under the bar after that first set. And I'm sure that, you know, you've potentially gone through that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, anybody that when, when they're completely dieted down, you, you know that feeling where also you just think, damn, this is going to be so heavy right now. And you, you know, it, it's, uh, and, and it's kind of, it's, it's no problem in the off season. Uh, and, you know, I was even telling somebody this in the gym the other day, cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm several months post show right now. And at a certain point it kind of clicks for you and you forget, I forgot what it was like to just be naturally aggressive in the gym. You know, you're like, yes, ah, yes, throw, yes, yes, throw, yes. throw another plate on there. I'll, I'll do this, you know, whereas, you know, in the final stages of contest prep, you're like, damn, I don't know about this. Um, so, you know, it, it's a lot easier mentally and physically to even just say, you know, a set of 15 and you're going to get a lot more volume for less, you know, mental and physical taxing than you would, uh, for a set. Now I'll still go down. I'll still recommend people, you know, do sets of six, you know, something like that. Uh -huh. um, yeah, cause, that cause, cause, cause you're still, um, you know, you're still getting a variety of rep ranges, which will, uh, induce growth through different mechanism, you know, mechanistic pathways. Uh, as opposed to high reps and low reps, so you're still getting that variety. So I'm just not asking people to do triples or doubles or anything like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I think I've heard you in a podcast before that you talked about. You know, when you've you're coming out of a contest prep, when you no longer have to really force yourself to be motivated for your sessions, i.e., listening to the most horrific dubstep mix and yes. you know getting yourself amped under the bar, like I. You know when all hope is lost. I remember when you know I I had to try and you know get myself motivated for sessions, but I just I just ended up giving up. And I think I started listening to like some podcasts in my sessions because I just literally, literally nothing <laughs> would motivate me to to get under the bar. But um, you know it's 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 very important that people realise that you know that that is probably a normal process of of going through. And like we said right at the start, you know if you don't have that passion for the weight room. You wouldn't even turn up for that session. You'd have, you'd have quit by that point, um, well, which is mad. Well, and that's another thing too. You know, we going back to the very beginning. You asked what I uh, what I looked for when people apply to work with me, and you know, I, I'm fortunate. I, I'm I'm more fortunate than most coaches, and I don't want a coach, but coaches to take this the wrong way. But I'm I'm fortunate that I get so many people applying with me now that I can really hmm. pick out the ones that I want to work with. Yeah. And, um, and you know, so, but you know, if you're, if you're a coach that is still isn't full with clients, just take anybody, you know what I mean? Like we work with those people. But, um, when I see it in their application, uh, where they're in their off season and they struggle with getting themselves to go to the gym or, you know, struggle to, you know, hit their, hit their macros or stay on plan. And then they tell me they want to do a show. 
uh, I see that as a big problem because this is the easiest it will be. You know, that when you're in your off season and you're eating, it is not going to get any easier than this right now. And, and if you can't do it now, then I really worry what it's going to be like. You know, when things get down to the nitty gritty in the last four or five weeks, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, and the, the, there's such a high potential that they won't even get there, and that's 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 so that's so cool for you to be able to have that control over who you pick because the worst thing is um, coaching someone, putting all that effort in, and then you know you not getting the satisfaction of them ending the process and stepping up on stage. So I'm, I'm sure you're you're probably very much like me. You know, I've 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 had few competitors step on stage but when i have i felt so much a part of the process that when i'm sitting in the audience watching them i'm like i'm nervous for them i've like been all the whole way and i'm sure you feel exactly the same so it's very special oh don't even get me started on that one of my one of my goals over the last few years is i've been better at this is to like relax a little bit when dealing with my competitors you know i've i've had some clients the, the very worst is when your client gets a a poor placing that they didn't deserve. Uh, that is the absolute worst. I, I've had a couple of times where I've had a clients that should have placed highly or won, but then you know get uh, get a poor placing, and I'm losing my mind. And I'm like, oh, what are we gonna do? And they're, meanwhile, they're like, it's okay, Cliff, calm down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're, they're telling me to calm down, and I wasn't even the one stepping on stage. But you know, you and, and that's the thing is, you know, and, and when I have people that apply with me that are struggling with motivation. To hit their training, yeah. it's not to say that it's not to say that they won't make it. Maybe they need some uh, extra attention, you know, whatever it may be. Sure, and sure. you know, at this at this point in my coaching career, I have a lot of clients, um, and so you know, even I view it as an aspect of I may not even be able to give that extra attention that they require. So in those cases, I keep a handful of coaches that are very good at what they do, um, and you know, they're educated. And so I'll even put them in contact with these people who, uh, you know, will be able to give them that extra attention and maybe be able to talk through some of the, some of the psychological roadblocks that they're having to get to that point where they enjoy the process more. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's very cool. And I think, you know, a lot of people, when they get to the point where, you know, they've reached capacity with their coaching, I know Lane talked about it as well, that he has, you know, lots of coaches that he will he will just push clients onto and that's very cool that you've got to see that position and 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 right rightly so because you know you, you are doing great things um so when it comes to um i i think i want to talk on quickly just cover whether you actually um structure deloads in your training at all um and why you would potentially structure deloads also are they auto-regulated by the client or will you whack them in and tell the client that they must deload on this week? Um, I, with deloads, I, I take a variety of approaches. Um, when it comes to newer competitors, uh, when I say newer, maybe in the first four or five years of training, and that, that may not seem really new to some people, but you know, there's a big difference in how in tune you are with your body when you're four years in training versus, say, eight. And so, um, you know, for newer and in, in, newer and intermediate competitors, I will um, I will tell them when to deload. You know, I may ask them for some sure. feedback, but I'll say, you know, we're going to deload uh, here, and we structured him. 
But when I get when I have more advanced competitors, you know, uh, six plus years of training, seven plus years, uh, I don't schedule the deloads. I ask them for feedback on how they're feeling, and I sort of let them tell me when they feel they need it, um, because uh, I I don't. You know, I feel like it's a little silly to to have regularly scheduled deloads for advanced competitors because sometimes we've I've seen it where you know you're just feeling good. You know, you you hit that nice stride, whatever it may be. Maybe you're maybe all in your life is good. You're sleeping a lot at night, and it's just week after week of I'm hitting PRs, I'm training intensely, and, and yeah, and I don't want to mess that up with a deload. You know what I mean? Let's just keep it rolling. Yeah. And then when you and then when you feel like you are you're sluggish, you know, maybe you're, you're not feeling as good in the gym and then we'll, then we'll deload. And then when I say deload, um, I will use traditional deload weeks where I back off of the volume. Got you, got you, got you. Yeah, okay. just continue oh. from there. It's absolutely fine. It's very perfect because we will be splitting this into two, so this okay. will, will, will probably be absolutely fine. Um, I think also okay. there's a slight merge. I think there's a slight merge in voices, but don't worry about that because it won't. It the how the recording works. It, it won't. It won't be like that at all when we spit it out. Um, so I've okay. somehow got you back, which is good. Um, okay. So cool. I think we got to deloading and you were talking about you were just about to tell me how you deload so if you could just roll in straight into that sorry cliff okay no problem uh so when it comes to the deloads i do some i do sometimes use more traditional deloads where i will reduce training volume and intensity for an entire week and let people get into the gym and just have lighter workout and training sessions um but my my preferred way of doing it is to just give people time off uh, from the gym mm-hmm. uh, uh, for a few different reasons. Um, there is some research to show that uh, getting away from the stimulus of training can resensitize you to the stimulus of training. So when you come back, mm-hmm. it will have a greater effect. Um, so just I, I, when I say deload, I, I, I'll usually sometimes do three days off for people, but every so often, I, I will. I'll even go five or five to seven days off from the gym. Um, during that amount of time, you're not going to lose much muscle tissue, uh, and if you do lose any muscle tissue, it will be back within a matter of days. So it's nothing of concern. Um, and so, you know, having you know full days off uh, does a lot of extra. I, I'd rather have people use that time where they're not in the gym. They can get some extra sleep. Uh, they can get some extra how that they've been putting off and so it's a it's a mental and physical break where they can get away from the gym get out of that mode for a few days and that's hard for some people like for myself for myself going to the gym is the highlight of my day i love that <laughs> but um you know getting myself out of the gym sometimes for three days at a shot and i don't do this very often i mean we're talking you know every 
four months or so. But getting out of the gym for three days, it allows me to catch up on a few things, uh, get a little bit of rest. And then when I come back, everything is just clicking to a higher level, even more so than when I take uh, a real deload of a lighter session. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense completely. I think it's even probably more, um, I guess, optimal in a contest prep because you get to the point where sometimes you don't really enjoy going to the gym that much. Um, so having time away from the, 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 the gym itself will probably make you, I guess, fall back in love with it just that little bit more. So when you do go back, your sessions are just that little bit more enjoyable. You're actually wanting to be there and you can probably get more quality work done. Um, so I get, that's something that I've never really considered. So that's something that I've really learned today. I think, you know, that, that you can, you know, structure actual time away from the gym. Because um, the only time I've really had off is when I've been on holiday and that's literally it. Um, but like, yeah, like, it, like like you, I'm very similar. Yeah, and, and I, I find it really does well. Uh, you know, at your age, this probably isn't as much of a concern, but people that have nagging injuries, uh, you know, if the elbow's bothering them or the hip or the knees, um, just giving, giving that joint a full break can be, can really work some wonders for it. And then, you know, yeah. you come back and everything just feels a lot fresher. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Um, cool. Okay. So, um, the fight, the final question I wanted to touch on, uh, when it came to just contest prep training, um, is there any situation where you have seen someone progress or retain strength in a manner that you just think like, oh, holy, holy shit, like this, sh this person should not be maintaining strength like this. Um, and again, like I said at the start with the other question, is there any characteristics that you think you've seen that promote more strength retention throughout a diet? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I do have some clients. I, I'm not going to count bikini competitors in this because bikini competitors don't get as lean as bodybuilders. So therefore, their, their performance in the gym will usually stay with them a lot longer in the gym or closer to show day. Yeah. Um, but uh, generally, uh, I find that people with more, quote, ectomorphic, or sorry, endomorphic body types are going to um, retain their strength a lot, a lot more efficiently during their contest prep. Uh -huh. um, and I do, have, I do have some clients, and for those that are unfamiliar, an endomorphic body type or would be somebody that you just look at, they're just they're just big. They're muscular overall, and they're the people that often tend to uh, lose fat, the, have a hard time losing fat. So um, okay. I have some clients. So I, I have fat loss is an absolute grind, um, and so in, in some of the most extreme cases, I've had a few female clients where you know we're down to 30 carbs a day. Uh, doing you know 45 minutes hour an hour of cardio daily and they're telling me I'm hitting yeah. PRs over here <laughs> and to me to me somebody that is not naturally strong um, you know it, it, every strength every bit of strength gain I have is just a struggle and I can't even fathom hitting uh, new personal records when I have only 30 cars in my system and doing an hour of cardio a day um, I also tend to find that my African-American clients hold strength 
better and longer than my white clients. Um, I, I think some of that has to do with uh, I some of the carbohydrate utilization issues uh, that is pretty common in the African American community. Um, that's one of the reasons African Americans tend to have higher rates of diabetes because they have insulin resistance issues. Um, and so, you know, I'll keep a more, I'll keep a lower carbohydrate intake for African Americans with a, with a more moderate to higher fat intake and protein. And so, uh, I find that they tend to hold strength a little bit better as we get down towards the final weeks. But generally you can just, you can kind of look at somebody and tell, um, you know, if, if somebody has real big wrists, uh, real big ankles, and you know, you just you see their frame looks really big, almost guaranteed that you can take their food really low and get them really lean, and they're still going to be strong as an ox. Whereas someone like me with smaller wrists, smaller ankles, mm-hmm. you know, has a, a a naturally just you know thinner look, um, they're going to see faster and sooner uh, performance during contest prep. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I think there's a lot there's a lot of things that again, like I obviously myself, I haven't so much experienced with with coaching because you've coached such a wide diversity of, of clientele that I, I perhaps haven't come across yet when it comes to, you know, African American clients, etc. and how they differ to, you know, you know, other clients. I think that that's something very interesting, obviously, that a lot of listeners listeners may well take away is that you know that there are a lot of differences when it comes to um, strength uh, retention, um, but you know the, the most part again is like you know it, it's going to be those individuals that do manage stress well, that are sleeping well, that do stay on top of ticking the boxes when it comes to you know hydration, that that nutrient timing around the workouts and just making sure that that's consistent. Um, so I think that you know that there's a lot of things that you can control, right? When it comes to you know a contest prep and retaining your muscle mass and strength, but then then again, there's a lot of things that people think you know are out of their control, and, and that's that's probably true as well. It's just about you know working out how well you can maintain those variables, I guess. Yeah, and and you you nailed it too. Like when it comes to the different demographics of people, um, one thing I really in my early coaching career that I wanted to become uh, proficient at was prepping every type of person. Uh, and I kind of, for those that aren't familiar with some of my methods, you know, we talked about some of them, but I, I don't really get locked into any one way of doing things. And um, one thing I noticed early on in my coaching career is that um, I would look at different coaches, and if you look at different coaches uh, most of the time, you'll find that their best clients or their their clients that look the best are like them. The white coaches have, you know, their their white clients look really good. Black coaches look really good. Uh, male clients, their males look really good. Female coaches, their female clients look really good. It's because um, people sometimes automatically assume what works for me is going to work for them. And, uh, you know, that's not always the case. And so sometimes, you know, if you have, if, if there are coaches listening, I think sometimes, you know, whatever, if you're a male, female, white, black, sometimes realizing if you're prepping someone, uh, of a different gender or, or race, 
take us not completely, but a slightly altered approach and realize what holds true for you isn't necessarily going to hold true for this person you're working with. 